0: Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink, for his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that saith to you, Give me to drink, you would have asked of him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then have you that living water? And the woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast said well, you have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that you said truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet in Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah's coming, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. And Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee, Am he? And upon this came his disciples and marvelled that he talked with this woman. Yet no man said why seek it what seekest thou, or why, talkest thou with her? The woman then left her waterpot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meanwhile his disciples. Prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know nothing of. Therefore, said the disciples one to another, hath any man brought him aught to eat? But Jesus said unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and finish his work. Say not, ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto eternal life, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying, True, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereup ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman, Which testified, he told me all that I ever I did. So when the Samaritans were coming to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word, and said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of the saying, for what we have but for we have heard with ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. The story of one of the greatest evangelists of all time.
1: This is another story out of the um, Gospel of John, and we're following the stories of the Gospel of John through this entire year. Last time we spoke, it was a story about Nicodemus, just in the previous chapter, and today we go to the story of the woman at the well. And let me, let's talk a little bit about that. The title of the sermon today is Spirituality Comes From, what? Can you see that okay? Is that come too clear? Spiritual conversations. Spirituality comes from spiritual conversations. Jesus was, had a conversation with one of the leaders in the Pharisees party, one of the Sanhedrin. And it took some while for that to bear fruit. But that spiritual conversation that he had with Nicodemus eventually built spirituality in Nicodemus. He was an honest man. He was a just man. He stood for principles. He was a seeker. He didn't know all the stuff. But because he listened to Jesus and had that conversation with Jesus, he became a spiritual man. And I think you know the difference between a spiritual man and someone who is not. A spiritual man has the information come from within them. God is working right through their heart, and it comes out. It's like natural. It is supernatural, if you want to know the truth. And now in the very next chapter, we're having this encounter with the woman at the well. Let me give you some background information so you can appreciate a little bit more about the story. This is a map of the um, Palestine, and you can see the Dead Sea in the bottom, and Sea of Galilee up there where it says Galilee, And Jesus, you remember, started his ministry up in Galilee and spent a good share of his time in Galilee. That's where the stories of the three synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, concentrate their stories in those Gospels. But John almost entirely concentrates his story down in Judea. This is one story that John picks up in Samaria. Very unique story, which is halfway between uh, Judea and Galilee. It's the shortest route between the two. Israel as a nation evolved over time. At the call of Abraham, you remember what God said to Abraham? I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and bless you know, those that bless you. And he gave Abraham the promise that as far, it's like the sands of the sea, the stars of the sky. That's what would be his descendants. Abraham lived a long life But he was a vagabond all of the years that he lived. Um, His descendants uh, went, do you remember, because of a famine, they went to Egypt and they stayed how many years in Egypt? 430 years. All right? Then there came the Exodus where they came out and who was involved in leading them out of the Exodus? God was through whom? Through Moses, through amazing... You know how it is, how God works. He takes the most unlikely candidate The one who has almost the worst against him. And Moses was under a death sentence. And he sends him back. You know, he was raised, even though he was a Jew, he was raised in Pharaoh's family. You know, and yet he's going to be the one that God is going to use to hand down his law, to be his leader. So out of uh, Egypt came Exodus in 445. They re-entered Canaan 40 years later after being in the desert. Um, and then there was a period where uh, Joshua uh, led the people, and then they went into the period of the judges. And you can find some pretty terrible stories in the book of Judges in the Old Testament about what life was like during that particular time. They were inhabiting the promised land, but not really. There were some great judges, weren't there? Can you name one particular? Samuel. Samuel. Outstanding stories of Samuel. Great period during the life of Samuel. Then there became became time for the period of the monarchy. And those dates there kind of give you approximate times for when this all happened. From 1050 to 931. That's when the entire nation was under one king. And that was, of course, Saul, David, and Solomon. Then you have the divided monarchy. The nation split north and south. The ten tribes to the north existed from 931, the end of the monarchy, the sole monarchy, and it ended 722. Just a little over 200 years it existed, and it was destroyed. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. To the south, the two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, started at the same time, 931. They lasted another 100 years longer. And, of course, then they were taken off to what country as slaves? To Babylon. Now we're going to go back to Syria. And the northern tribes. And their fall in 722. 722 Assyria. One of the most fierce nations in the ancient world. Uh, decided that they were going to conquer the northern tribes. When they did. They were the most brutal people. I think I've told you some time ago. about Their their warrior god. Or a king was worshipping a warrior god. And so when they. They went out into battle, they beheaded the people, and just stacked the skulls up in great pyramids in front of the king to show how much that they had done in the king. That's pretty brazen, isn't it? Pretty bold. And that's bloodthirsty. You know, those are heartless people. And that's the fate that happened to those ten northern tribes. Not only that fate of death, but they were deposed. They were gotten rid of. Those people were not allowed to continue to live in the northern area. They were deported. Uh, Practically the whole population was deported. They never returned. They became the ten lost tribes. And so what a horrible thing. Abraham had received the promise of the Lord that his people would be blessed. They would occupy this land. And ten out of twelve are disappeared. They just totally ten out of twelve tribes disappeared. Assyria repopulated the people that lived in Samaria. You see a Samaria there right on the map with people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and Sepharvaim. As a result, there were so many. They also, you know, with these new people that came in from the other parts of the world, they were pagans. And now they were more of them in the land of, of Samaria. And the few that were left intermarried with the pagans and as a result of that their faith suffered. That always seemed to be the extent. There was a pull away from true faith. Alright, so there you have a little bit about the history. The story took place in Samaria with uh, hundreds of years later after this had happened. The Samaritans worshipped on the Mount Gerizim. Here you can see a more recent picture of them gathered on that mount. Uh, they believed that their religion really was the true religion of their common ancient uh, fathers, free from the, what they felt were the heirs that came back when the Jews came out of Babylon, repopulated the southern tribes. This is their version of the story. Remember that. It's their version. So they prided themselves with being the keepers of the law. That's what they thought their duty was. All right? There was a fierce rivalry that developed between the Samaritans and the two southern tribes, Benjamin and Judah, um, called the Judean. They saw Samaria as uh, uh, the Samaritan Israel as sinful, divinely punished for its idolatry and iniquity. Both Jewish and Samaritan religious leaders taught the same thing. It was wrong to have any contact with the opposite group. If you were Jew, have no contact with the Samaritans. If you're Samaritan, have no contact with the Jews. But these were the descendants of whom? Abraham. Um, and, And neither were to enter into the other's territories or to speak to the other, even to talk. Josephus, the Jewish historian, reports that numerous violent confrontations took place where they actually took pleasure out of attacking in night raids, things like that, the first half of the first century. I'll tell you a little bit more about the beliefs. Uh, by tampering with both their religious texts and the history, the Samaritans believed that Mount Gerizim was where was that right? Abraham was willing to sacrifice was it on Mount Gerizim? They believed that Melchizedek meant with Abraham there, and Moses' first sacrifice to God after the Jews entered the promised land at Mount Gerizim. So Mount Gerizim takes the place of Mount Moriah. And so just as the Jews built their temple on Mount Moriah, the Samaritans built theirs on Mount Gerizim. Now you've got to remember here, these are not that far apart. You know, it's, it's just a three-day journey from Jerusalem up to Galilee. And so Samaria is, is maybe a day plus, you know. You can see the mountains, you know, of both. And so, um, oh, I'm going the wrong way. Here we go. Mount Gerizim was the most sacred site in their world. And they felt it, that the 10th commandment was about the sacredness of Mount Gerizim. The 10th commandment in their 10 commands. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? All right, let's go more here. Here is a picture of Samaritans praying before the holy rock on Mount Gerizim. And um, uh, it's just a small group today. There's not that many there. The whole nation disappeared, the ten tribes. Million Samaritans populated the area in Jesus' day, a million of them in Jesus' day. But through bloody suppression, mass conversion to Islam, the is, when the uh, um, uh, Islamic nations came in there, they pretty well wiped them out, and um, and then um, there was only about three hundred or four hundred uh, elsewhere in the Holy Land. So it, it suffered a tremendous, tremendous consequences. Here you can look at the top of the mountain there, and this is just basically the rubble from Mount Gerizim temple the Samaritans' temple. It was destroyed by John Hyrcanus uh, in about 128 B.C., having existed for about 200 years. And that's all that you have existing today. They were bitter enemies. And uh, Dean read the text there, verse 9, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. They avoided all dealings with each other. Think about that. As you heard the story today, Jesus went into Samaria, and what did he begin to do? Talk to a Samaritan, and a Samaritan woman at that. Trade with the Samaritans, uh, in case of necessity, necessity, was lawful, but all social intercourse was condemned. Jesus walked right across that. A Jew would not borrow from a Samaritan nor receive a kindness. Was Jesus going to violate that thought? Not even a morsel of bread or a... So when Jesus said, give me a cup, you could think about what was going through her mind because these were actual rules, social stigmas or anathemas. To ask a favor of a Samaritan or in any way seek to benefit them did not enter into the thought of even Christ's disciples. That's how strongly they felt about it. Uh, Alfred Edersham, a Jewish um, writer, quotes a Jewish saying, May I never set eyes on a Samaritan. Are you getting the level of the animosity between these people? The Jews accused Jesus of being a Samaritan, that was like the worst curse you could hand out. Um, In the days of of Ezra, when the Jews came back from uh, from, from Babylon and wanted to build, rebuild their temple, the Samaritans actually came and asked if they could help in that building, and they would not allow them to help. Why would they not allow them to help? Because they feared that they by and they had no choice in some respects on this, they remarried, had married pagans, and they would have nothing to do with them. By the way, some interesting stuff going on in politics today. Uh, Jesus' visit to Samaria. He was passing through Samaria was usually it was usually avoided, but Frequent uh, Judean Jews would travel on the north or on the east, east side of the Jordan River whenever they were going north or south. They would just skip going over Samaria entirely. And it was a longer, about twice as long a trip. But Jesus led his disciples on a direct route right out of Jerusalem, right up the hill. And it was in the heat of the day, probably at about noontime, when he sat down and they went into the town to do the very minimum that was allowed, buy food. But definitely don't talk to anybody. Definitely don't make any friends. Definitely don't touch anybody. You know, anything like that. But Jesus didn't avoid it. While traveling south to Jerusalem, through Samaria, he was rebuffed, because he was going to Jerusalem. So in retaliation, his disciples wanted to call fire down from heaven to destroy them. He had seen this experience. They, They this is what the world was like in Jesus' day and what he was facing. Um, uh, when they heard that he was going to Jerusalem, they wanted, the Samaritans wanted nothing to do with him, and the disciples wanted to retaliate by calling fire down from heaven. You remember that Jesus healed ten lepers from Samaria, visited with the woman at the well, our story today. I want to show you this as well to kind of set the stage correct here, and then we're going to look right into the story. The Exemplary Good Samaritan. Do you remember on that road between Jerusalem and Jericho? It's a very steep and narrow road. It's, it, it's cut into the mountains right alongside of a, a ravine. It's a very interesting place because they have built, as you'll find in that part of the country, these, these buildings that just seem to be, you know, a fighting uh, gravity. They are just built on the side of a steep cliff And they are somehow anchored into that cliff. And people spend their whole lives, monasteries or whatever, just right on the edge of a cliff. Rocks. That's all it is. You know. And up and down this road is the traffic. And that's the only way you get at that area anyway, from east to west. And if they're going to Jerusalem, Jericho is where a lot of the priests lived. And so whenever they would serve at the temple, they would be traveling along that road. And just, you know... People that were selling their wares or doing business in Jerusalem would be traveling along that way. And you remember the people came and there was this one man that was beaten up. And the priest came, the Levite came. They would not help. But who came? Samaritan. Samaritan. And helped. And Jesus told that story. And so you see, Jesus sees beyond all of those rigid rules and he saw genuine, real people. And our story today illustrates that as well. You remember the leper. There were ten lepers, but which one came back of the ten? only one to say thank you. It was a Samaritan. So there were some very good people. This feud, this war that existed, disallowing any kind of contact... You know, have you ever seen that take place? You know, was unreasonable. And Jesus is telling us through these examples here, the Bible is telling us that uh, there were some very good people there. And there was one there that day that came to the well to meet with Jesus. And he was not going to treat her like the normal Jews would. I just want to say something over in, um, about that. Over in Willits, we have a ministerial association. And I think I've mentioned this before to you before. There was many years that went by when the ministers were not meeting because they couldn't stand meeting with each other. They would always argue, kinda like Jews and Samaritans, right? You know. They found good reason to argue. You know, they had beliefs or whatever it was that was different, so have nothing to do with those old people. Those are pagans, you know. Nothing. We decided to start meeting together. We decided that we're not gonna fight we decided that we were going to pray for each other that we expect each to see each other in the kingdom of heaven that was a little different than what the Jews and the Samaritans felt you know and and suddenly now these guys are praying for each other and they're praying for each other's uh, uh, churches and we're working together and the community is being changed by seeing what's happening in the churches and some of my dearest friends are the pastors of those other churches they're just really a genuine thing there So I want us to remember about this. This is a message to us about, you know, there's probably people in Fort Bragg that uh, I picked up one on the road over here on Thursday and uh, rode most of the way with him. Uh, He was planning on walking all the way across, young man, 23 years of age. We need to make friends. We need to be like Jesus, who simply will talk to people. And get rid of all of those, those things, those walls of division. Through this one Samaritan, this whole village, as you heard, became Christian. The whole village. The power of just friendship and care. Spiritual conversation produces an amazing thing. Jesus instructs his disciples that after receiving the Holy Spirit, they were to go to where? Jerusalem, Judea, and where else does he say? Samaria and the world. He includes Samaria. He wants them to still be in that family. After Philip preaches in Samaria, Peter and John are sent to lay hands on the ones that he was, they were meeting with to baptize them and to receive the Holy Spirit. If you were to go to Samaria today, you would see a site something like this. This is a well that... Uh, reaches down to um, this might this is supposed to be Jacob's well and this is a building outside of it as you go into there you can find this this is supposed to be one of the most ancient and authentic sites there could be no doubt about Jacob's well they know where it's at and it goes back a long time how far? almost 4,000 years Jacob dug this well And and it's been there ever since. And here, it shows you that it it was very deep. In, In A.D. 670, it was 250 feet to the water. Is that a deep well? Hand dug? That's a deep well. 67 feet in A.D. 1881, and 125 feet now to get water. This is what it looked like before they built all that fancy stuff, and it was about seven and a half feet wide. And um, and and today, of course, they made it a little bit more tourist friendly. <laughs> and our story, where Jesus came, and a woman of Samaria, having no thought at all that this Jew would talk to her, talked together. And her life was changed and the village was changed and the disciples were changed by observing all of that. Give me to drink. A spiritual conversation. Now let me talk to you about spiritual conversations. <clears throat> they start something like this. Jesus challenges people to see themselves differently. That's what his goal is. He wants to give them a different view of life a different view of themselves, a different uh, reason for life. How many conversations do we have that are motivated by that? If you have those kind of conversations, if that's your goal, then it's very likely it's going to end up being some kind of a spiritual conversation. It's going to go there. He wants people to begin to see themselves and life differently. So he studies them. And he watched this woman come. He already knew about all these animosities. He sees her come and she's coming in the middle of the day. What does that tell you? She's trying to avoid something too, isn't she? she is, she's a social outcast herself. And she's under that curse. She's not allowed to mix with the other ladies. Why? Well, Jesus said why, right? She had one husband after another, after another, after another. Very lonely, very empty, very outcast. Jesus just observes her and he knows what's going on. And then when she comes closer, what does he do? He says, please help me. Give me a drink. It's really hard if it's said nicely when you ask for something to turn it down. This is a clue to us about how to have spiritual conversations. Ask, make yourself vulnerable instead of coming on as a strong one. He says something unexpected that catches them unprepared. And that happens today too, if we do this. Does God want us to have spiritual conversations with people? Is he willing to send his Holy Spirit to be with us Is he willing to open the hearts of the people, both ours and the persons we're talking to? Yes. Can conversions, can lives be changed? Yes. Did it happen all the time with Jesus? Yes. Can it happen with us? Yes. It can happen with us as well. Now often they take what he says wrongly because people are not thinking in a spiritual way. People generally are thinking in a very shallow, a very empty way. And Jesus never talked in shallow and empty terms. And so they are caught off guard by when he says something that makes them believe that he can somehow see things that they can't see. And he knows something about them that they're afraid of how much he might know. You know, they're a little afraid and ill at ease. But, but Jesus stays with the statement And he makes his offer clearer and more vivid. He stays with it and he just keeps going closer and closer to the heart. He does it gently. It's a very sensitive issue. A lot of stuff going on. He can trigger it into something other than it turned out to be if he stopped being gentle. If he stopped being caring and loving and understanding she still misunderstands when he stays with it. And having their attention, he then offers to fulfill the deepest longings of their heart. You see the steps there? They're not complicated. You just simply ask for something. But make sure before you ask that your heart is right towards that person. And ask for something from them. Or just talk gently about something. Open the door. And then uh, pretty soon you're going to pick up something. I have this oftentimes happen to me where I, and, and this happens to you too. You look at somebody and there are messages all over them that tell you what's going on in their life. Why don't we ever talk about that? It seems to me like you're troubled today. Just a statement like that. Or it seems to me that something might be really bothering you or something might be worrying you. Just opening up the heart and going towards the heart. When did we stop and when when did it happen that we always talk so superficial and don't go there? This is a spiritual conversation that can lead to spiritual transformations. And that's very important. He's asking a service of kindness from her. Um, uh, I'm going to tell you this one more story about how reckless and crazy the Jews were. Can I tell you this one? William Barclay he even tells of a segment of Pharisees who were so determined to have nothing to do with women, nothing to do with women, that they were called the bleeding and bruised Pharisees. Do you know why? Why? Because when they saw a woman coming, they closed their eyes, and they kept walking. <laughs> and they were called the bleeding and bruised ones." They had scars all over their bodies. They were black and blue always. but they were faithful to not open their eyes, you know? And I've got to tell you, there's stuff, crazy stuff like that that is still going on in Christians' lives. It was happening over in Willets, as I said. Now it's changing. And now the the congregations of all the churches are beginning to work closer together. We're not in any way compromising compromising our beliefs. We don't have to. But we have the same God. And that's a lot of reasons why we can work together. All right. All right, now let's go on here. Here's one I want to go to. He initiates a connection. Give me to drink. They're total strangers. One seeking connection, asks for a favor. The other, wary of connection, is understandably cautious. She misunderstands. Why are you talking to me? (laughs) Her distance and defenses are still up. The woman had not comprehended the words of Jesus, but she felt their solemn import. You know, conversation should have some import, don't you think? It needs to. Her light bantering manner began to change. She was looking backwards to the fathers and forward to the Messiah's coming but she was not going to look at her life right then and there. And that was keeping her stuck where she was at. The hope of the fathers, the Messiah himself, was beside her and she knew it not. So he improves his offer and he offers her what? live in water. Now her ears are a little bit more open. Knowing that everywhere men are unsatisfied and long for something to supply the needs of the soul, he moves directly toward the spiritual. I want us all to start going bravely towards the spiritual in our conversations with each other and everybody, with family members. I talked about that last week as well. It's so important that we start to do that. And um, she again misunderstands basically saying who are you she looks upon him with wondering attention her interest is aroused and awakened because he's offering a real precious gift who are you why is a man talking to me why is a jew talking to me who is this man finally clarifying his offer he is exactly his offer is exactly what she wants ah uh, everlasting life you can't hardly read that can you kind of wind it up she melts eagerly confessing her need and acceptance look at those steps look at the steps that jesus took think about those steps as you meet people and talk to them and try to follow some of those steps to try to make sure that when you talk to your children you include some of these steps When you talk to somebody that you've worked with your entire life and maybe you've never had a spiritual conversation, talk to them, including some of these things. You will find the Holy Spirit will come into your life and changes will begin to happen. Now I'm going to tell you a little bit about somebody who you may not have heard about. Her name is Candice Pert. She received a Ph.D. in pharmacology from John Hopkins University School of Medicine, 1974. She was former chief of the section on brain biochemistry, clinical neuroscience, branch of the uh, the, um, National Institutes of Health, and specializing in peptides and their receptors and the immune system. Does that kind of give you a little awe? She's the author of a book called Molecule of Emotions, and she's written and other books since that time. Over 250 scientific articles, she holds patents for modified peptides in the treatment of Alzheimer's disease. She's part of the front edge of a group of scientists that are actually leading the way to finding answers to some of these problems. This is Candace Pert. She appeared as one of the experts on Bill Moyer's 1993 PBS video production, Healing and the Mind. Just Google her and you'll find that there are some, even videos of her talking. Uh, Now she is no longer working with the National Institute's help. She's established her own lab and is doing her own research and finding New directions to solve some of the main problems that we're faced with today. Some of the major ones that are affecting most of the children today. Autoimmune diseases, things like that. Oh, there they are. You read that. I read that. Okay, let's go by this. What happened here? That didn't happen, right? There we go. Among the things that she's very interested in is the brain-body connection. There used to be, and still is in the minds of many people, that here's the brain, here's the body, and they don't really involve each other, except indirectly. What she and other scientists today are learning is it's one. It's just basically one. And the whole body works together in processing information. Images of disability, when they appear to the brain, reconfigure us to act like that. It's just amazing how that happens. The power of remembered wellness is another one that Herbert Benson brought to our attention a number of years ago. And that just basically is along the same line. You think something of a nicer day and your body suddenly is experience a nicer day. As a man thinketh in his heart. Christians have known that for a long, long time. Now these individuals like her and others like on the front edge of science today are finding that this is really true. The power of the brain to change us, to make us a new person. Um, Old things are passed away and all things become new. And so Jesus was the master of this. He was able to take people who were stuck in an old rut and give them a new license, a new lift, a new vision for themselves, and they're able to get beyond it. So, what Jesus did with that woman there in Samaria? Now, scientists today are telling us that's the way it works. It's the way it works. Every cell and peptide vibrates, communicating with cells all throughout the Bible, telling it things uh, things about what to do. The whole body is a brain, so to speak, communicating. With itself. The body should uh, put its attention. Where it should put its attention. And what is important. Listening. Do you remember this statement in Romans chapter 10. Verse 17. Faith cometh by. Faith is what? Faith is the ability that connects us with God. As though he's the head and we're the body. And we're one. You got it? Okay. So that's faith. Faith That connection, that spiritual connection, spiritual conversations lead to spiritual connections, right? That connection is called faith. Faith cometh by hearing. Faith is the result of someone, just like the cells of the body, they start listening and they are transformed. When you allow yourself to listen, Faith cometh by hearing. When you allow yourself to listen, as this woman did to this very kind man who spoke to her heart, she let down the barriers, and now the cells were open, the brain was open, to begin to function in an entirely different way. Candace Pert is just giving us the biology of how that works. And so, all of a sudden, she was able to think and believe and be a different person. Because those cells are changed and made into what we are able to believe. Faith cometh by hearing. That is, the willingness to hear. And I've told you this over and over again. The word for hearing is the very same word for... What? I guess I have to tell you again. Obeying. There is no difference in the word. It's the same word, a Greek word for hearing... Is the same word for obeying. In other words, they understood that if you hear, you are changed. You are different. Old things pass away. All things become new. We are born again. That's what Jesus said to Nicodemus in just the previous chapter. And so he was trying to get an old guy who was functioning in a certain way and had his beliefs set a certain way. And how did Jesus... Address him, the very same methods that he addressed this woman. He confronted him, forced him out of his comfort zone so he can begin to maybe take a different response. Maybe start listening. You know, he didn't understand. He was goofed up, but he was intrigued. And he was something about Jesus' demeanor that convinced him that he needed to listen to him. And that's what people need to see in us. Because when they start to listen, then it's time we know that they're changing. Faith cometh by hearing. When the hearing happens, faith happens, change happens. A new person is being born right in your midst. So that's just a very simple thing. Only after trust is established does Jesus gently touch his sensitive vulnerability. She's willing to listen to him. Her heart is open. She has faith starting faith, and he begins to talk about what? The, the sad area, the thing that has kept her isolated. Nobody wanted to have anything to do with this woman. And once people begin to trust us as representatives of Jesus Christ, only after that trust element is there and they're willing to hear and listen, they know something special is coming from us, then you can deal with some of these issues. Never go here before then. She responds guardedly, Go call thy husband. Jesus frees her from her shame by simply disclosing it without any condemnation. She thinks he's a prophet. And now she's willing to learn. And now he begins teaching her and he's sharing startling new truths to her that she had never heard from anybody else. She would never have listened before, but now she is. Why? Because he loved her, he accepted her, he was in tune. He tuned himself to her and he listened and he spoke directly to her heart. None of the shallow stuff. We don't have time for that kind of stuff. We really have to go. And so she's ready to, to believe. I believe that this congregation here today, if you start by faith practicing some of this, let the Holy Spirit talk to you about who you should try it with. If you start doing some of this, just Read the story with Nicodemus and read the story with the woman at the well and go out and start talking to people in a little different different way. And it may take a little while for you to get comfortable doing this. You're going to see people's lives change just like Jesus did. And she accepts him and now she wants to make it public and she goes back to the town that had ostracized her and caused her so much grief. Is she afraid of them anymore? No longer is she hiding anymore? And they somehow are listening to her. And they come out and they see Jesus. And there was, as you saw in the text, lives changed. They became incorporated in the Christian church instead of ostracized. And she became his disciple. In chapter four, twenty-eight to thirty, in her confusion she left her water pot. She forgot what her whole purpose was that day. And by the way, that was a little bit of a walk. Back to the village, she told the people, come see a man who knew all about the things I did, who knows me inside and out. Do you think this could be the Messiah? And they went out to see for themselves. So many times times in my life, I get this reaction just like this. As somebody now, for the first time, is talking to them about Jesus, not in a telling way, I know something you don't know. I am a little smarter than you. Not like that. But somebody who is basically meeting their needs. And they come back and they're thrilled by it. They're hungry and thirsting for it. Many of the Samaritans from that vision village committed themselves to him because of the woman's witness. He knew all about the things I did. He knows me inside and out. And they ask him to stay on. So Jesus stayed two more days. A lot of people entrusted their lives to him when they heard what he had to say, and they said to the woman, we're no longer taking this on your say-so. We've heard it for ourselves and know it for sure. He is the Savior of the world. All right, two conversations. Simple conversations, private conversations, ending up doing what? Nicodemus went to the Sanhedrin. I think probably through Nicodemus, his influence was able to reach the most hardcore group and some of those people probably ended up following Jesus after the crucifixion. The Samaritan, another really wounded group of people. Jesus talked to the worst possible one you could think of in the entire village. All by himself. In a simple conversation that you could repeat, almost. And what happened? Was that... Did they, did they need to have 20 or 30 meetings and go for a few months, you know, to get all the doctrines across? You know, the point is, those people had fallen in love with Jesus. The key is this, folks. When they fall in love with Jesus and experience him in their lives, when Jesus says, now I want you to keep the Sabbath, they're going to say, oh no, can't do that. No, of course not. They love Jesus. If they believe that Jesus is telling them to do this, I want you to watch your diet and avoid some of the things that you, oh, can't do that. No, of course not. If they have fallen in love with Jesus, that's the key. They have become a new person. Old things have passed away. All things become new. We need to be going out there and doing these kind of things. I'm convinced that I need to be doing more and more and more and more of this. And as I do, I am the happiest when I'm doing that. So I encourage you, out of the stories of John, two stories, right at the beginning of the ministry, very first Passover that Jesus attended, these two stories came out of it. And how amazingly they were. One, to reach the hierarchy of his own people in the religious leadership of his people. The other, to mend the fences with the ten lost tribes, so to speak, and bring them back together. What an amazing thing to happen from how many conversations? Two. God is asking us to have sacred conversations so that we can have spiritual uh, lives uh, be born again. All right. Thank you. By the way, let's have a prayer. Father in heaven, we're in your church today. We've just remembered two stories that John thought was important enough to immortalize, keep for our day. John was one of those that wanted to call fire down from heaven upon a Samaritan. How this story must have really got a hold of his heart, challenged him. And how he must have just looked with amazement on Jesus and saw how Jesus approached people so different than him. He was so closed and so judgmental. But by staying close to you, he became loving. And he became open. And he became like you. He wanted us to have this story. You want us to have these stories. So that we can start saying, this is the way. I've got to walk in it too. I'm a disciple. You've called me too. I am a Christian. So help us to take this to our friends, to our family, and to this community. Help us to believe that you are going to bring Experiences to us and people to us that are exactly like Nicodemus and this woman at the well. Help us to think carefully and prayerfully about what Jesus did, what he said, and what he didn't do, and what he didn't say, and try to pattern our conversations accordingly. And may we enjoy the thrill of seeing lives changed. How exciting that must have been! Samaria, the whole village. How wonderful that must have been. And it continued to go on. Bless us in this direction, I pray.